Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we review the best and worst of the NFC Championship. We talk about some concerning injuries heading into Super Bowl 55, and we talk about legacy versus legacy. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we are doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at Yarko underscore Bucks, at DHarrison82, and at Bucks underscore Nation. David is currently en route from Mobile, Alabama, so we are going to talk a little bit of Senior Bowl on this episode for those of you that have not heard the crossover that he did with Ross Jackson of locked on saints. I do highly recommend you go back and listen to that. Some nice discussion about some prospects from the senior bowl there, David, but we're going to kick things off. Um, I'm, I know you've been busy over, over the course of the past couple of days, but have you seen the video of Peter King interviewing Jason light and talking about the addition of Tom Brady? Uh, I haven't seen the entire interview video, but I have seen some highlights. So are you prepared to tell me how right I was about predicting that Tom Brady would wear the number seven if he came to the Buccaneers? I, You know what? I actually remember having that conversation. Yes, I fully uh, will give credit where credit is due that you, you very much made that prediction. And um, I don't remember. I think I said 10, didn't I? Pretty sure I said 10 because I think that's what he wore in Michigan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I that that does sound familiar. But yeah, friend, friend of the pod, friend of Bucks Nation, Bailey, DM'd me that video and he goes, Man, you were almost right. And if it wasn't for Chris Godwin's generosity, then I would have been right. And Tom Brady would have worn number seven. But David, let's talk about the injury report here for the Bucks and the Chiefs. A couple of changes to the Chiefs side of the injury report. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire upgraded from limited to full. Uh, Mike Remmers, offensive lineman, upgraded from limited to full. And Andrew Wiley, offensive lineman, upgraded from limited to full. Other than that, they only had one guy who did not participate. That was Eric Fisher. We already know he is out with that torn Achilles. So the, the Chiefs are going to be without both of their starting offensive tackles, which could certainly play into uh, the Buccaneers' ability to rush the passer. But on the Buccaneers' side, nothing changed. So, David, the players that did not participate in practice, Antonio Brown, we already know that, that he's likely to play. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., already know he is likely to play. Jason Pierre-Paul, he hasn't practiced, I don't think, at all in the playoffs so not concerned about his participation. The two that we're keeping an eye on certainly are Jordan Whitehead with that shoulder injury that he suffered in the NFC Championship game. That did not look pretty, but I think the Bucs are, are optimistic that he will be able to play. But Levante David with a hamstring injury, not participating on Wednesday or Thursday, that's got to be concerning, right? I mean, the, the, the Buccaneers losing Levante David for a Super Bowl could potentially – really be catastrophic for this defense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if Devin White is kind of like the 
the fiery heart and soul type of, of part of that defense that kind of gets the engine going and, and gets that defense really, really kind of humming. Then Levante David is, is what you would call the stabilizer, right? Um, I think his professional, you know, he's, he's got just as much energy and juice as anybody on the field. But I think at the end of the day, Levante David's veteran presence and his consistency throughout the game is really what, what adds value to that defense more than anything. And I mean, Kevin Minter, we've seen him play in spots where he needed to, and he's certainly a serviceable off-ball linebacker, but you can't replace what Levante David does on the field in the biggest game of the year. I mean, it's a Super Bowl. You need a guy like Levante David out on the field. Plus, from just a, an emotional standpoint, like after all these years and all the, all the work and the losses and the, and the failed seasons to make it to the Super Bowl and then to see him have to sit – on the sideline and not be able to participate that you, your heart would just kind of break for him um, if that were to happen. Uh, so yeah, so definitely concerning there, but the good news is he's got time and it's the Super Bowl. So, I mean, if he can go in any type of capacity, you know, he's going. Yeah. I, I find it hard to believe that he would not play and we're still, you know, nine days out from this game. I think you're looking at, at an opportunity for Levante to rest that hamstring if it's if it's bothering him. He tweaked it, whatever the case may be. But I just I can't fathom a situation where Levante David is going to be sitting out of this game. Other notables on the um, on the injury report: David limited participants, Mike Evans, Vita Vea, no surprise there. Full participant, Chris Godwin with an elbow injury. Again, you know I I can't fathom you know any of those guys missing. And then on on the Chiefs side, you know, they they have a ton of guys on their on their injury report. Most of them are are listed as limited, and I don't think there's really any of them in danger of of missing the game. Yeah, well, like you said that those losses to the offensive line, you know, if, if they are indeed without those two, that's gonna that's gonna loom large, especially, you know, with with Patrick Mahomes is not. So, you know, unlike Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes is not necessarily the best quarterback in the NFL under pressure. Uh, Patricia Trana actually pointed that out on, on uh, your last episode this week. And then that's, you know, that's great information to have. And that just kind of shows you the value of matchups, you know, and I think that's kind of what we saw in the second half against the Kansas City Chiefs in the regular season is that if this defense can get help for a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. So with Vita Vea back on the field, that's a, that's an entire wrinkle. That's an entire wrinkle against the Chiefs didn't have to deal with. All right. Well, David, we're going to be getting into some more discussion here coming up in segment two. But first, I want you to know that you, sir, are one of a kind. And so are your taxes. That's why TurboTax Live has experienced tax experts who are ready to listen to you, learn about your unique tax situation, help you get the best tax outcome. Maybe you're moonlighting as a rideshare driver and have questions about what qualifies as a deduction. Maybe you want an expert to walk you through the process since most of your income last year came from freelance jobs, or maybe you'd like to hand the whole tax filing process off to an expert while you perfect your banana bread recipe. Whether you want to file with the help of an expert or let an expert do the filing for you, TurboTax Live tax experts are here to help giving you the confidence to know that your one-of-a-kind, uniquely you taxes are done right. Into it, TurboTax Live. And you know what, David? Once I get that tax return, I'm just going to skedaddle my way on over to another friend of ours, and I'm going to order up a big old case of some built bars because the improved built bar is even deliciouser than before. Of course, they have their 12 original flavors. We talked about the peanut butter, the banana bread. 
the peanut butter brownie, the salted caramel, that you're a big fan of the German chocolate. Then six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. And they are perfect for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and perfect for anyone on the keto diet. Those cookies and cream bars that my son wolfs down before a big hockey game on the weekends, 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs. Go to BillBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you will receive 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Com. Recapping the best and the worst and getting into a legacy debate coming up in segment two on the Locked On Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a Friday edition here of the Locked On Bucks podcast. And once you're done listening to us, you need to go check out some friends of ours. We are covering everything you need to know about the Buccaneers. But what about the rest of sports? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. Speaking of that Locked On Today podcast, David, they had an interesting conversation about legacies, and they asked the question, on their question of the day on the Locked On Today podcast, does Tom Brady's success in Tampa affect Bill Belichick's legacy? So you were on a a sports station in California, and they asked you the same question. Apparently, this is a conversation. We'll go ahead and touch on it before we dive into the best and worst of the – of the NFC championship. And look, I don't know if Tom Brady's success in Tampa has anything to do with Bill Belichick's legacy. Bill Belichick is going to go down as one of the greatest coaches to ever live. And I think what a lot of people question is his ability as a GM. You had the greatest quarterback of all time playing for you for two decades. You got to nine Super Bowls. You had an undefeated regular season. And towards the end, people were discounting the quarterback. But he wasn't surrounded with any weapons that were going to help him. So did Bill get too cocky in the fact that, well, I can plug anybody in here and we can hide our deficiencies because that's what we've always done. You take a look at Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, you know, that's that's eight years. That's a solid coaching career. That's more than a lot of these NFL coaches have ever had. And in those eight years, he has one playoff win when Tom Brady is not his starting quarterback. So I'm not going to sit here and discount Bill Belichick. I'm not going to sit here and discount the Patriots. If What if they make a move for Deshaun Watson and they start to put some weapons around him? That's going to be a playoff caliber team. We're talking about a guy that coached the Cleveland Browns And although that staff was outstanding and they had talent and they probably could have made a deep postseason run, I don't I don't think Tom's success elsewhere with 
weapons like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk, Brait, OJ Howard early in the year, Fournette, Rojo. I mean, he's he's got a, a full Vegas buffet of people that he can throw the ball to. And I didn't even mention Scotty Miller or Tyler Johnson or Antonio Brown. You know, what he's able to do in Tampa, I don't think has anything to do with what Bill Belichick is doing in New England. It's it's apples to oranges, and both of them are going to go down as the greatest or one of the greatest of all time at their respective positions. Yeah, so it was a very interesting question, and I actually shared it on our Locked On Bucks Twitter account, and as expected, got several responses, and pretty much every single one of them was different. And that's that's kind of the fun part of conversations like this is there's really no right answer, right? It's really an eye of the beholder type of situation, and that's what I told CK out there in California when he asked me that question on his radio station is, is in my opinion, you know, I would love to get every football fan's opinion on this because you're going to get so many varying answers. But in my opinion, the answer to that question is yes and no. And what I mean by yes and no is, yes, it impacts his legacy because, again, and we've kind of talked about this uh, again recently on our show, we're in a different part of our society. We're in a different time in our society where everything that happens is being recorded on an, on an entirely new level. And there is literally nothing that you can do in the public light and in the public eye that isn't going to reverberate throughout, you know, the history of whatever you're dealing with. So Bill Belichick's successes and his failures and his struggles, both as a coach, as a play caller, as a schemer, as a media interactor, all of those things are going to be more documented than any other, you know, successful coach of his generation. Like Bill Parcells and the success he had in his career is not as well documented and recorded as Bill Belichick is etc etc so in that sense yes it's going to impact his legacy because this whole thing is going to last and it's going to it's it's not going to fade away like an old photograph it's going to stay vivid in the mind of football fans and football historians for a very long time and the bottom line is when these two teams when these two people separated it was who needed who the most and the new england patriots not making the playoffs basically told everybody that bill needed tom more than tom needed bill while Tom is going to the playoffs and now the Super Bowl. But the truth of the matter, the fact of the matter is Tom didn't – it's not like Tom left New England and went to a team with a first-year coach who is not established, who doesn't know what they're doing, has no history of success or no track record in the NFL, and literally Tom went and made that coach what he is right now in this moment. No, Bruce Arians is, is one of the best coaches probably in this generation of football. You know what I mean? He doesn't necessarily get celebrated as such. When you look at his track record of success and stop after stop after stop, I mean, he was part of that coaching staff that took the Cleveland Browns to the postseason the last time they went to the postseason before this season. And then he had success in Pittsburgh, and then he had success in Indianapolis, and then he had success in Arizona. I mean, Bruce Arians is a winner as a coach just as much as anybody else is, just doesn't have the rings to show it. You know what I mean? And that's important, don't get me wrong. But Tom didn't leave Bill Belichick for a nobody. He left a great coach for another great coach, maybe not in the same light, you know, as, as from a success standpoint, but another great coach where I say no is the fact that no matter how you want to pair this together, right. And this is, this is the MJ argument. Well, if MJ didn't have Pippen, if MJ didn't have Kerr shooting threes, if MJ didn't have Dennis Rodman grabbing rebounds, but guess what he did. And Bill Belichick, well, if he didn't have Tom Brady all those years, he wouldn't have the reins and the success. Well, guess what he did. So he's a part of that and he has a contributing factor to that. So, for anybody to say, well, now that Tom has gone and having more success than Bill is, 
that means that Bill didn't have as big of an impact on that that amazing run that the New England Patriots have made. I don't think that's fair to Bill. I don't think it's fair to Tom either because I think they both built each other, and that's something that I don't think you can take away from Bill. No matter what everybody says, all the pictures of Tom Brady with all the rings on his hands, Bill Belichick has just as many. He just doesn't have the photograph. I think that's very well said. You know, they they helped each other, and I don't think their their separation here at the end of Tom's career is going to affect Bill's Bill's legacy um, very much because he is going to go down as one of the greatest coaches and one of the greatest winners of all time. David, let's get over to the best and worst of the NFC Championship. We're going to recap how that all went down. You wrote it up for BucksNation.com. And uh, so the the best of the NFC Championship, you nominated Showtime Sean Murphy Bunting. I nominated Vita Vea, and you kind of incorporated the all of the pass rush in with, with Vita Vea there. And then the third one that you threw in for the article was Playoff Lenny. So coming in tied for second, our playoff Lenny and Showtime Sean with 11% each. And my people have yet again spoken. Vita Vea in the pass rush, 78% of the vote, winning the best of the week. How do you feel about me winning yet another one of these? You know what? I've, I've, I've come to the point where I'm good with it because you know what? You know who wrote the, the paragraph? You know who wrote up the best and the worst? That was me. So really... They're voting in part for your nomination, yes, but they're also taking my writing into consideration and they're choosing that as the best written portion. So I, I take a little bit of that victory. It's kind of like I'm the Josh McDaniels, you are Bill Belichick of nominations. So you're saying that you're not you're not incorporating what I say when I nominate these guys into your writing? Is that is not that- completely, no. And if I ever had to write for the Annapolis Colts, I would probably quit the day before I was due to run my first article. Yikes. Wow. Shots fired. Uh, The worst of the NFC championship, David, you nominated Mike Evans. He had a rough day. I nominated Ronald Jones. He had a rough day. And then the third one that you added in was Tom Brady, who he had a rough half. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't great. He was a little off on some of his passes. So Tom Brady comes in third, at 27% of the vote. Mike Evans, 28% of the vote. And Ronald Jones, 45% voted as the worst of the NFC championship. So I was two for two on that one. Yeah, I mean, for good reason, you know, especially when you talk about turnovers and you talk about, you know, basically either side of the aisle was going to win that argument. That's why I actually added Tom Brady as a third there because as we were going through that episode and I, and I, recommended or nominated whatever you want to call it Mike Evans for the worst I was I was already in the back of my head saying there's somebody out there or multiple somebody's out there they're going to say well Tom Brady had a hand in those interceptions too they weren't exactly perfect passes so when I went to write the thing I said you know what yeah let's throw Tom Brady in there too and that's basically exactly what happened is I think on the Bucks Nation comments uh, I got a comment saying uh, you know how how dare I, uh, well I think it was I think in the comments it was how dare we put Brady in there because Mike Evans should have caught those passes. And then on Twitter, it was, how dare we put Mike Evans in there because Tom Brady threw those interceptions and they weren't great balls. So kind of like going back to Jameis Winston, when I get called a homer and a hater at the same time, I feel like I've hit right smack dab in the middle, which is where you want to be. Yeah, I mean, they're they're separated by 1% of the vote. So, I mean, it's split among among the fandom as to who was – 
who was to blame for that. And as we always do, let's take a look at the comment section. This one is from Pyre, I think, P-I-R-R-E. And he or she says, I don't get the playoff Lenny hype. Yeah, the run was amazing, but that was one outstanding play versus a lot of average ones and some bad ones. Even on his touchdown run, I think it started off poorly, and instead of taking the cutback right away, he decided to run into his own guys first and almost made the play end by that. Rojo certainly wasn't better, but in my opinion, the O-line didn't help a lot. That was probably some of the worst run blocking we've had in a while. The poor run scheme by our coaches surely doesn't help, as well as always running on first down. How do you feel about that, David? Uh, I mean, there's some of that stuff we would have to put that before and comments on it. Like, I, I highly doubt the Buccaneers always ran on first down, and the commenter was probably using a little bit of hyperbole as well, so that's fair. Um, but, you know, uh, at, at the same time, you, there, I've seen people complain about them passing too much on first down. It's just – it's one of those things you're never going to make everybody happy. Uh, as far as Leonard Fournette and playoff Lenny, I actually commented on that comment, and I said perhaps the bigger question is how bad was Leonard Fournette in the regular season that this playoff performance is actually making us really impressed by what he's doing. And I got a pretty positive reaction out of that one. Um, listen, when you look at it, man, I mean, Leonard Fournette uh, is the leading rusher in the playoffs this year. You know what I mean? And Okay, to, to a little bit of a grain of salt on that, he's also played more games than any running back in the NFC. So, you know, it's like, okay, how, how impactful is that really? But at the end of the day, man, I mean, Leonard Fournette in the playoffs is making enough impactful plays that he's been a, a, a critical part to why this team has been successful. I mean, he's not making all the plays, and no, not every run is, is amazing and sexy, and I don't know that he's done enough for me in the offseason to come back and say they need to bring back Leonard Fournette. We'll get to that in our offseason programming. But for the three games that they have played in this postseason, he has been an important part in getting them to the Super Bowl, and it's it's deserving of, of credit. Yeah, I mean, he's running with power. He's running with purpose. He's running uh, assertively, and it just looks like a different player and and to the point of always running on first down, look, you pointed it out. I believe it was the – was it the Washington game where when they ran on first down, they ended up getting first downs, and a couple of times they would throw on first down, led to three and outs. Like, I understand fans are frustrated, and, and you have, you know, your analytics people that always want to talk about, oh, well, the percentages say that you need to throw it on first down, yada, yada, yada. The Buccaneers have more success running the ball early to set up second and, you know, you could say second and long, sometimes second and medium, um, and continuing to just chip away. And then those turn into those long sustained drives, whereas when they haven't had success throwing on first down, now they're in a hole now they're throwing on second down. Now they're throwing on third down. And more often than not, they end up you know, having to punt the ball away or, or they'll go for it on fourth down. But I have no problem with running on first down. I have no problem with the way Leonard Fournette has been running in this postseason. And I'll say this, I viewed that touchdown run very differently. I did not view it as uh, he was supposed to take the cutback right away. I looked at it as he ran where he was supposed to run. And everybody got clumped up right there. He actually utilized some vision, which is not something we saw a lot of during the regular season. Noticed there was a lane to the outside. I was like, all right, 
I can bust out here and at least get something. And it turned into a big run. I don't think that was a designed play for him to cut back to the right. I think that was him making a whole lot of something out of a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. I mean, I'm driving right now, so I'm not going to look up the play, but from, from what my memory remembers, uh, yeah, his blockers got pushed back into him versus him running into his blockers. No, we're all Leonard Fournette absolutely will run into blockers. From time yes, to time. yes, he will. On <laughs> that play specifically, I think his blockers got blown up. They got pushed back into him, and he did. He did the best he could to make something out of nothing, like you said. And then he hit that spin move. And look, uh, I mean, that's kind of where I would maybe go is is if you're whiffing on a Leonard Fournette spin move as a defender, you've got to be embarrassed because Leonard Fournette does not exactly have that great of a spin move. Um, there are defensive linemen that have better spin moves than Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette is an offensive player who carries the ball for a living. So, um, you know, a little bit, you could probably put a little bit more on the defense and on the offense for the way that run went down. But, hey, I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's about who wants it more. It's about who's willing to put everything on the line. And, you go, and I mean, you can even point at the coaching. You know what I mean? One coach uh, goes for a touchdown with the clock ticking down and potential field goal on the board. The other coach takes the guaranteed points and says, hey, go stop the greatest quarterback to ever play the game from getting two first downs so we can win this game. And which one of them is playing the Super Bowl? Which one of them is sitting at home with a quarterback that's making buzzworthy comments in post-game press conference? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, David, we, uh, we need to move on. And I don't know if you saw the story or not, but there was a professional better that placed $8,000 on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in February to win the NFC Championship. So this was before the signing of Tom Brady. He put the money on the Buccaneers. That paid him out $280,000. That is is a lot of money. Congratulations. Those kind of opportunities could open up for our listeners if they can just time it right and get those odds right where they want them. And there's only one place to go and one place we trust to do exactly that. BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. You have the Super Bowl coming up next week. That is insane. The Buccaneers are playing in a Super Bowl in in like eight days, nine days, nine days. I can count. It's late. Um, you have the NHL in full swing. You have MLB getting ready to kick things off. You still have the NBA. You have college basketball, all kinds of things that uh, that you can throw a little money on. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online your online sportsbook experts. Wrapping things up here on a Friday edition of the Locked On Bucks podcast. When you're all done listening to us, we have another show that we would like to recommend. You take that betonline.ag account that you just created and got your 50% welcome bonus. You're going to need a little bit of advice. You're going to need a little bit of help. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. And if you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. David, let's wrap things up here. Preparing for the Senior Bowl this weekend. You've been down in Mobile, Alabama, checking out the practices, watching some of these players. Give Bucks listeners some names to keep an eye on 
this weekend when they're getting their football fix, checking out the senior bowl of some guys that are going to fit well with the Buccaneers, uh, you know, should they be drafted? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at this this game, so you got so they switched up the teams, right? So it used to just be north and south, but then there were some some complaints and there were some issues. You know, you end up with like all the Alabama players on one side of the field, and then on the other side of the field, you have no Alabama players, and of course, that's a problem. Um, I think uh, Justin Herbert played for the South Squad last year, and a lot of people questioned how an Oregon quarterback is playing for the South. So. Uh, Jim Nagy and the Senior Bowl decided to go with a national team and an American team. Uh, the national team being coached up by the Miami Dolphins staff and the and the American team being coached up by Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers staff. And I think when you look at it, the the national team, the team being coached by the Dolphins, they've got the better quarterbacks. Uh, I think they've got the better uh, quarterbacks. Or no, I'm sorry. The national team has the worst quarterbacks of the group, while the American team, Matt Rule squad, has the better quarterbacks. I think that's gonna that's going to play a big part on Saturday. But at the same time, when, when you look at this matchup, uh, the Miami Dolphins group, they've got the better wide receivers, in my opinion, overall. But, I mean, you have kind of the top-end talent there um, on, the, on the Carolina Panthers side of things. I think at the end of the day, I expect the American team to come out of this thing with a victory. But really, you know, the, the purpose of the game isn't necessarily to, to take the bragging rights home and, and have a winner and a loser. It's to have these players come out, give some NFL development, get some exposure to coaches, do some interviews, uh, especially a year like this where the combine is not going to happen um, really at all. The, the, this is really the only time a lot of these players and a lot of these teams are going to have the opportunity to sit down in person, you know, man-to-man and kind of speak to these these players. And I know that a lot of them are taking advantage of them. Um, one, one player that everybody needs to look out for is Jamie Newman, quarterback out of Wake Forest. And I'll give you multiple reasons to be watching for him. One of those reasons is he's doing really well. I mean, I would say he probably had the best week of all quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl from a from a standpoint of making more money for himself. Like Mac Jones from Alabama came in as the most known quarterback for obvious reasons, and and there were some parts where he struggled, but then there were some other parts, uh, especially on day three. I mean, on day three they came out there and they did some squad and squad drills to start off the practice, and Mac Jones took his squad right down the field and made some really good plays um, doing so. So there, there are moments like that, but Jamie Newman made the most money from where he started, I think, entering this weekend to where he left this weekend, and I know that he left very happy with himself. But, James, here's another reason the Buccaneers fans out there watching the Senior Bowl need to pay attention to Jamie Newman, because take a guess at one of the teams in Mobile that took a specific sit-down with this young quarterback. The Saints. The New Orleans Saints, absolutely. Yuck. Not only did they sit down with him, they had such an impactful conversation with him. He specifically mentioned them or by name, by team name, in his press conference, in his in his media huddle with us on the end of at the end of day three's practice. So he and the New Orleans Saints definitely connected right now as far as interest is concerned. And listen, again, there's no combine. There is no in-person scouting other than maybe a pro day here and there. So I mean, this is really the best shot any of these teams are going to get. So you can talk about all the smoke and then the mirrors and, and all that stuff. I don't think in a COVID offseason that teams like the Saints are wasting time with, you know, misdirection interviews here and there, especially, I mean, Newman's not exactly a day one prospect, but you're talking about the possibility of the New Orleans Saints having a mobile quarterback in Taysom Hill, which, you know, who knows how good he's really going to be when when all of it's on his back. But now you've got them showing interest in another mobile quarterback who's young, 
has an arm that can pop and has done some good things out here in Mobile. Uh, not pro ready by any means, but still somebody that Buccaneers fans are going to keep a, keep an eye on because he may become one of your rivals very, very soon. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode, sending you into the weekend in fantastic fashion as only the Locked On Bucks podcast can do. Coming up next week, do I even have to tell you what's going to come up next week? It's, it's nonstop talk about the Super Bowl. Oh, let me ask you one question, James. Okay. So this was going around oh, no. Mobile pretty much the entire time we were there. And I'm, I'm not going to be the one to tweet it. It's secondhand information, whatever, whatever. Um, but it came out today, and uh, people are starting to report it. And Matthew Stafford looks like he's going to San Francisco. And, I mean, the ink's not on the paper, and the deal hasn't been called into the commissioner. But, you know, from, from all the buzz going on around Mobile, and then, again, it started getting tweeted out today uh, towards the end of the second practices there, about 4 o'clock Eastern time, that it looks like Matthew Stafford, San Francisco, is a real thing. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm disappointed. I'm really, really disappointed. I don't, I don't think he will find the level of success in San Francisco that he could have had in Indianapolis. So for the sake of Matthew Stafford, I'm disappointed. I'm sure he's excited for the opportunity. I'm sure he's excited to play for Kyle Shanahan to get, you know, some weapons like Kittle and the the speedsters they have in San Francisco. They need to figure out that run game a little bit because that's something that he didn't have in Detroit either. And that was why I liked that fit in Indianapolis so much. You had, you know, the the old head, the vet in T.Y. Hilton. You had the the new young hotness in Michael Pittman Jr. And then you had uh, just an absolute monster of a running back in Jonathan Taylor. And and I thought that was a seamless transition for him. Uh, San Francisco. It it should be interesting to see him play there. But I'm I'm a little bummed that. You know, he didn't end up in Indy. Yeah. So let me let me pose you this question then real quick before we get out of here. The San Francisco 49ers, if they bring in Matthew Stafford, and we, you know, obviously you have to work on the details, but from my understanding of what they're potentially giving back, they're going to have their nucleus of talent in place. Uh, he comes back with Debo Samuel healthier than he was this year. Brandon Ayuk with a year under his belt. George Kittle, you know, is one of the better tight ends in the league. And then they've had they had a little bit of success in the running back group, not a good running attack, I would say. But let's say they draft Najee Harris, they bring back Nick Bosa healthy again, and they get that defense humming a little bit that was doing pretty well under Robert Sala, obviously now in, in New York coaching the Jets. But I mean, that looks like a pretty good squad too. Not you know, I think you could probably compare that to that Indianapolis squad and say that the 49ers might be a team that go from worst to first in the NFC West. I, I definitely think that's possible, but I don't think they have a really uphill battle for that. I I've really lost faith in, in the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, I think people are really starting to figure out the way Sean McVay runs his team, runs his offense. And it's, we've seen them struggle because of it. Uh, I'm still not sold on the Cardinals as exciting as they are to watch, uh, you know, and Kyler Murray makes some, some great plays and they have the best wide receiver in football. Um, you know, I they're they've shown that they're a very beatable team, and then you have uh, you have the Seattle Seahawks. That's going to be the the biggest hurdle to climb. But their defense is so suspect that they have a lot of work to do. So I don't think going from worst to first in that division is uh, you know, is going to crack my top half of the league in difficult divisions to do that in. 
but it'll be interesting to see nonetheless. I just, for the sake of Colts fans, for the sake of my boss, I hope they don't end up with Carson Wentz. So that would be bad. All right. Well, David, we got to get out of here. Of course, coming up next week, round the clock, Super Bowl talk. And we have a plethora of guests coming through to talk about the big game. Uh, Really excited for next week's coverage. And who knows? Hopefully, David, this is just the first Super Bowl that we get to cover. And you and I aren't doing this podcast 18 years from now talking about finally getting back to the Super Bowl. But until then, please check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. If you are new to the show, we, of course, appreciate you as much as we appreciate all of our old listeners. But make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us that five-star rating. It really, really does help us, and it helps other Buccaneers fans find us. We would greatly appreciate it. So make sure that you're hitting that subscribe button, get notified every time a new show drops, which is five days a week here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DHarrison82, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding weekend. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, be good to one another. And we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks.